Welcome to Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We're two best friends entering the world of true crime. We'll be sharing the stories of some of the worst and wildest true crime cases in history, and we're taking you along for the ride. In this episode, we're looking at the tale of Ruth Ellis. How are you today? <laughs> I don't, I'm looking at you in fear. I don't know, Helen. <laughs> I'm not prepared for this question. What do you want from me? We're both a bit stunned, aren't we? Been a lot the last week. Been great, though. Yeah, we've had a very busy time. We went to CrimeCon. We did. And we met lots of fun people. <laughs> didn't we oh and we had the most hey, we had the best display i think in the whole convention it was a little a4 piece of paper with devils in the dark written in red sharpie yeah i think what we've learned from this is that if you're nervous about going to an event and you've never done an event like that before like i've done loads of wedding shows with my mum's van so i know that you know you get given a booth and you decorate it and you put all your shit out and your samples or whatever and you make it look lovely. But we've never done a crime con before or any con. We just didn't. We just and didn't we just think. Didn't. And it said bring a banner or something. And we just didn't. We left it a bit late, didn't we? We did. Uh, but we did. I did save the day. I went on Canva on my phone and made a poster. Yeah. And then, and then we got my manager to run down to a local printers and just get some posters printed off. But it turns out... A handwritten sign. If you don't, if you're a bit you're nervous, and oh, I don't really know what we're what we're gonna do. Here, it attracts so do. much. Oh my god! Attention! Like what a way to start a conversation. Yeah. Hello. Yes, you might notice that the people next to us have fucking giant glittery letters because they obviously do this all the time. Yeah. And then the guy, other guy on the other side of us, had all these lovely stickers, all in nice, neat little rows, and, and I knocked them down several times. And genuinely, I think I'm probably one of the most hated people at that <laughs> event now. <laughs> the guy next to us also had like brain shaped stress balls giving them out for yeah. free there were people there with pens and badges and stuff and we're just there with our little handwritten sign people would walk past and be like and uh we'd be like hey we are legit we're, we're, we're an actual podcast I promise i missed it when it was gone yeah i, I immediately scrunched that up and put it in the bin helen could not get rid of it quick enough god but she did do she did save the day doing a quick little doodad on her phone yeah so yeah, that was it. But um, that was an exciting thing. I tell you what, I have mm. not been able to stop thinking about the Prosecco that we had. Yeah, we had a little break. So we went out for a walk because we were right next to Tower Bridge. So we walked over Tower Bridge. We got lovely touristy photos. It was We saw a naked bike ride, lots of what? bums and willies and titties. What was that about? I have no idea, but it was it was great. Very hot day. Yeah. And I then, just can't, one other thing I can't stop thinking about. What? I just, it doesn't matter what genitals you have, mm -hmm. but naked genitals mm -hmm. on a bike seat. Mm -hmm. I just, there's so many ways that could go horribly wrong. You're looking at friction burns. There's, it's sweaty. That's sweaty as fuck. It doesn't matter what material that bike seat's made of, does it? What if you fall off? Like, what if something gets pinched? <sighs> like, it was lovely to see because there was all bodies, all bodies. Yeah. On bikes. But like, <laughs> chub rub. Like, do men get chub rub on their, like, 
bits because they're out. They're what, out. What, what side does it flop down? Like, oh wait, no. I'm oh just, my god! Uh, I didn't even think of that. Like, is it bouncing from side to side? Yeah. Where do you position that hunk of junk? <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, the brain can wander for miles. I know. Is. Where did they go? Why were they there? Where did they come from? And then there was some clothed people on bikes, weren't there? And they decided they wanted to join in, so they took their clothes off, and then they just joined in. But the poor guy at the back—he was obviously late to the party. His friends had already half stripped. <laughs> he decided he was having trouble with his socks or something, and he was like half a mile behind everybody else. He's just a naked <laughs> guy. I hope he caught up with them <laughs> because, like, so you can't arrest you can't arrest a group of like two hundred people on making on bikes. But that one guy, he's getting chased down. <laughs> Stop it! Why are you being such a weirdo? He's like, no, no, honestly, there's a, like a whole group of people on naked on bikes ahead of me. They're like, nah, mate, you're on drugs. We didn't see them. We've just seen you put some clothes on your pervert. <laughs> and then I thought, all the tourists who have been like, oh my god, guys. London's such a cultural, great, and historical place. Can you imagine? Like, aren't we lucky that it's not raining? Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Why is everybody naked on flight? Welcome to England. (laughs) And every like all the British people are just like, oh, (laughs) 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 there was children. Yeah, what an experience. I loved that. That was great. Relive that moment. But we went uh, for a donut. And then they had a Prosecco at a place called Prosecco. What was it called? Prosecco House. Yeah, it was lovely. AKA Helen's House. Yeah. <laughs> Sue's House. Be the, the Prosecco House. <laughs> Loved it. That was, we felt very um, fancy, didn't Cosmo, we? Cosmo, yeah. Yeah, cosmopolitan. We had to dash off early to get the train home, which yeah. is a shame. But. We missed the end of the meal. But we, um, well, I had to get back to my dogs. I was up early the next day for Download Festival. I lost a part of my soul there. <laughs> Adults be adulting, except for Helen, who yeah. adulted until she got to download and then turned into some kind of metal hobgoblin yeah. rabid beast and came back a different woman. Yeah, I absolutely <laughs> have no self-control. I went to my friend Heidi, I went, I'm not going to go too crazy because I do have to drive home tomorrow and, you know, I'm making content. And as soon as I got there, the party stole, I got washed away. Uh, to be fair, actually, because we went to bed at a reasonable time, because you know it's a gig, well, yeah, essentially. It's at Eleven, isn't it? Yeah, so we went back, and then I got loads of sleep. I and I felt fine when I woke up. Um, to put it into context, so obviously I had to get back to be a mum to my child. Mm. The next day in the group chat, the day after oh, no. download. I think the main voice note was, and then this guy came over and was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know if your friend knows, but her boob is out. And I just thought if she doesn't know, she might want to. And it was just a very like, that's a nice, that's a nice, like, that's the vibe. That's yeah. the festival. You know what? If you want to walk around with your boob out, that's fine. We're all accepting of that. But if you don't want to, he's just very politely. Well, this thing was, I was wearing this fabulous star spangled top, which is the most festival top ever. Don't lie. You were just inspired by the people on bikes. You wish you were on a bike. You just wanted to be naked. But it's not actually suitable for dancing lots to metal. Definitely don't wear it on a bike. Because my boob kept falling out the side. I perhaps needed someone to tighten it for me. But then there was this one woman that looked at me and went, excuse me, your boob's hanging out. And I was like, 
excuse me? And then I put it back in. (laughs) Some people have tit-flapping energy. Some people do Do not not. have tit-flapping energy. It's just a tit. We're tit-flappers. Yeah. Flapping in the wind. Just a tit. Mine definitely flap in the wind. I've got tiny titties, so, you know. Yeah, it's it's true. They're not even like they're... Yours barely even back. Brash. No, I know. They're lovely, perky things. Anyway. Titties and butts and cracks and dicks. That's the start of today's... A lot of nudity. A lot of nudity. A lot of nudity. Not really any nudity to follow. Oh. It's not a sexy story. Oh, okay. This one. But it's not, it's okay. It, well, it's not okay. Obviously, it's, it's murder. But um, this one, I think similar to last week, I think this is a really good one to follow on. Sorry about that. Am I keeping you up? No, I just I had no control over that one. Sorry, okay. I just yawned. <laughs> <laughs> With Lorena bobbit last week this one is also a very conversation inducing okay case yeah it's it's different it's interesting it was interesting to me yes let's set the scene the scene shall we it's 1955 and the public are divided one of the most controversial sentencings has just taken place with the case of ruth ellis she has been sentenced to death by hanging for the murder of a man hanging Death by hanging. In 1955? In 55. Oh my God. What medieval nonsense is this? Well, Helen, death by hanging in the UK was actually, took place until 1964. Fuck off. Up. Oh my God. But we're going to get into that later. What? This is, I apologise. That's in my parents' time, that I is. Know. They could have witnessed a hanging in their, you know. I mean, if you took a child to watch a hanging, I think there's bigger issues. There. No, I know, but like, <laughs> the fact that, wow, could have um, been televised. Ruth Ellis became the last woman to be hanged in the UK. Where did they do it? Well, let's go back to the start, shall we? Okay. okay. And I will tell you in time. Okay. Ruth Ellis was born as Ruth Nielsen on 9th of October 1926 to parents Arthur and Elizabeth in Rill, Wales. Elizabeth was Belgian and she'd come across to the UK and they got married. Ruth was the fifth of six children and they were quite a traditional working class family. Dad went off to work, mum took care of the kids. Their father, Arthur, he was a cellist. A musician, oh. so they actually ended up travelling around quite a bit. Cool. Yeah, and the, the family would go with him. So they never really stayed in one place for too long. A few years here, a few years there. But apparently he was quite often not working, so things were often very tight financially. Well, he must have got paid a reasonable amount of money if he's a travelling musician that can afford to also take his family with him. Well, I don't think they really had a choice. It wasn't like they weren't they weren't living in, like houses and stuff the whole oh. time one of the documentaries i watched about reef ellis mm. was a dinage one where you can't quite tell how much and then once you start doing i watched a couple of other documentaries and then started my like you know text research they've made half that up what do you mean you know and they just like you put stuff in documentaries and they're like and she like so you'd be like she walked down the street on a sunday afternoon she flew down the street in a rage <laughs> <laughs> We'll yeah, like, it's exciting. embellishing it and i'm like well it is exciting but now i'm like well how much of that was true and i feel a bit lied to yeah her early life there's a few different sort of accounts of this but generally thing. speaking you know whales yeah. cellos family moving around yeah kids kids when ruth was two years old her father's twin brother died in a bike accident so he died quite suddenly oh shit yeah and it hit arthur really hard 
I should imagine it probably would do. You know, a twin twins have a special thing going on, don't they? Yeah. Um, and according to Ruth's old, older sister Muriel, after that incident, Arthur became physically and sexually abusive towards her. What? Yeah, and that eventually culminated in Muriel becoming pregnant. <gasps> yeah, and giving birth to a baby boy at the age of fourteen. That's her dad. Yeah, that's messed up. Yeah. Well, that's messed up. What I think is more messed up mm. is that their mum, mm. Bertha, mm. she knew what was happening. She knew that this child was Arthur's and she did nothing like what? to stop it. She didn't like take the children away. She took Muriel's son and raised him as their own. So it's like her yeah. grandson and and stepson. And, and stepson. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. but she raised him to be a brother to Muriel and the other kids. No. Yeah, and so this is weird, but because Arthur was questioned by the police at the time, but was never charged with anything, nothing ever happened. What could they have done, though? Incest would surely be a crime. And Sexual abuse. And underage. Paedophilia. Pe- yeah. Like, Ooh. I mean, this is a long time ago, though. Well, so. well, that's just it. I'm not entirely sure what the laws were at that time, but if Fritz Harmon in, like, before World War Two, could be tried for sexual abuse. I know that was in Germany. Surely in the UK that would have been a thing as well. Mm-hmm. I just think from the start, that's a massively dangerous situation and a massive letdown. Do you think it might be because, like, you know, with some situations they just decide to keep keep away from because it's too it's too sticky, it's too gross. It's like, oh, that's your daughter. Uh, we're just gonna. Put that one under the carpet. Well, yeah, I do you know, wonder, but like, if, like, if nobody was kicking up a fuss... Yeah. Then... It's not like it was a stranger yeah, that's like, been well, reported. Well, no, but Bertha wasn't doing anything about it. No. Like, you know, so I think they probably just had sort to be like, turned. oh, a 14 year olds had a baby here, what's going on? And then didn't look much closer than that. So according to Muriel, Arthur tried to turn his attentions to Ruth after Muriel reached puberty, or like entered puberty. Uh. But Ruth fought back. She wasn't fucking and she wasn't having any of it. What's his deal, man? He's a prick. I don't see how being that distraught over your brother dying mm. can lead you to rape your children. Yeah. I just don't see how those two are connected in any way, shape or form. Mm. I just think it's disgusting. So not a great childhood, not a great no. start. And obviously she's not known any kind of sort of, I think, love or like kindness from a male role model in her life she did have older brothers but i don't really know much about their relationship and mm-hmm. i should think living under a man like that is probably quite fraught yeah but also like there's a lack of stability there like if yeah. you're being moved around quite a lot you don't have like a solid family home or f- family unit and then having to watch your dad go through grief and then obviously abuse your sister like it's all around like a very yeah. unhealthy place for a child to be there's not much nurture there or absolutely or like stability or it's not a safe space it's is not it a safe space at all so at 14, Ruth dropped out of school and got a job as an usherette at a cinema in Reading. Cute. So they were in, the, in England by this time. Her dad then moved to London after getting a job at a lift manufacturing company mm-hmm. as a chauffeur and something else. This is the bit that gets me. Like, I just this is a bit weird. So Ruth's older brother, Julian, was back on leave from the Navy and was had his girlfriend Edna with him a lot and Ruth got really close with Edna. According to Muriel, Edna showed her like the high life, the fast life. Ooh, um, okay. Edna, Edna introduced her to like jazz and liquor. Oh, wow, okay. Like, the, the <laughs> they 90- went dancing yeah. and smoked cigarettes. Yeah. Um, 
so Ruth and Edna moved to London and lived with her dad. Right. And I just think, why? Why? Yeah. Like, if you know he's abusive, they moved to London, lodged with her dad, and he just continued being abusive towards Ruth. And what? Then, yeah, and started an affair with Edna. What? Yeah. And so Bertha came and had, like gave a surprise visit. Surprise, husband, I'm here. Oh, you're literally in bed with our son's girlfriend, oh Edna. Caught them. So that affair ended quite quickly and Bertha ended up moving to London, but she didn't live with Arthur. This is messed. It's up. a mess. It is a mess. What are these people thinking? I don't know. I mean, I she must what's... have had some sort of like consensual, like she must have been like, yeah, all right, go on I then. I think Edna was into it. Ooh. But how into, I mean, he must have been a lot older. So like there might have been some kind of grooming there. I'm not really sure. But like for Ruth, I think it's just she didn't know anything else. That's the only thing that can come into my brain. She didn't know anything else. So she went and stayed with her dad because she knew that. But did she? That was did, her version of safety. But did she tolerate his like abuse she to her? She still fought him. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was more physical abuse rather than sexual. Oh, okay. Point. Yeah. It was wartime, World War II time. So Ruth got a got work in a factory, mm-hmm. became a factory girl. And she eventually dyed her hair a platinum blonde. Oh, wow. And this was sort of like the start of her becoming um, her own woman, Ruth. She was 16 and she was going to the dance halls. How did she dye her hair blonde? They had bleach. I wonder what it was like back then. It was like platinum, wasn't it? Yeah, but I wonder what it was like, the peroxide and the, the bleach packet. You couldn't literally pop down to Sally's and buy it. Like, I wonder what their hair dye had. probably would have got it from a pharmacist or something. Yeah, yeah, but I know, but I wonder what it looked like. Like, what, what, like the packaging and I everything. I think like, it probably wasn't much different. It was, really? Yeah. I, don't I just know, it's just fa- I think yeah. that's quite cool to think. Anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, so she was going to the dance halls and she was blonde and she'd get dolled up and she was obviously like portraying that she was feeling all glamorous and glitzy you know when you're 16 and you're yeah. like i'm an adult and i'm going and doing adult yes and she went and she was dazzled by it just loved all like the glitz and the glamour of the soldiers in their uniforms Ooh, and the hunky dance boys halls, and she's going out and she's an independent she's got her job and she fell in love with a canadian soldier called claire ellis and he wined and dined her and gave her all the good chat, said he wanted to marry her, and she fell in love. Oh. Yeah, and then she fell pregnant with his child Ooh. at the age of 17. Oh, no. And Claire was off. He. Oh, that's so typical. Do you know what? My um, scary Auntie Jean, you know my hunchback great <laughs> yes. auntie that I've told We've you about, about hunchback scary auntie. <laughs> God, you're getting fat. Her daughter, she was a child of an American soldier. Oh, it was really common. Yeah. Yeah. Because, he buggered off too. Well, in the typical trope, Claire had a wife and his own children back in Canada. Yeah. So he was never going to marry Ruth. Poor Ruth. I know. And so once again, she's just been let down by a man. Like, a man. And so she had her son out of wedlock and she had to go to one of those special the unwed mother oh, hospitals oh yeah i can't believe they exist I know. that's none of your business wherever, wherever yeah, my child but is it was wedlock. really taboo at that it was really frowned upon at the time i don't understand that yeah so that's why bertha took muriel's son as her own yeah to, you know scandal but yeah so she had to go to this nursing hospital she had a baby boy and named him claire claire his father but for some reason he became known as andy Oh, because that yep. makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> Do marry up. Yeah. And she left Andy with her mum and went off to work. She worked several jobs, factory jobs, clerical jobs to try and support him. So she was, mm-hmm. you know, she had that glitz and glamour and then that all faded away. 
pretty oh, quick shot. Oh, no. God. Yeah, and she never wanted that life. She wants the glitz and the glamour. She always mm-hmm. wanted to live more than what they had. Mm-hmm. Like, she never wanted to go back to that sort of working class. Yeah. Makes me think, like, that kind of grey life. Mm-hmm. Sepia life. By the end of the 1940s, she got work at the camera club in London mm-hmm. where she would pose naked. Ooh. Yeah, and men would take photographs of her. Okay. So it almost sounds like still life, like life drawing. Yeah, they're just practicing yeah, taking like pictures. Photography. Then I was like, ah, oh, and then I heard a bit more about it. And it does sound kind of seedy. Why? Like, because I think it might be more like a peep show rather than like life drawing. But at this point is sort of when she learned of herself as sort of like a sexual being. Yeah. Like she could use her sexual prowess to have power over men. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, men would find her attractive and want things. Yeah. This job at the camera club led to her being offered work as a hostess at the court club in Mayfair. That sounds like it's a gentleman's club or something. I think it is a bit like that, yeah. And she's like, so she's, you know, wearing the little bodysuit and carrying around trays of drinks and serving clients. And there's like photographs of her. She looks very glamorous. She's got her blonde hair and her Mm -hmm. makeup and she's always smiling and Mm -hmm. surrounded by people. And she was making a decent wage Mm -hmm. and she also was given a a flat oh they 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 put her up in 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 a flat i believe so she you know these days of like scrimping and saving and having to work like all these jobs to look after her son were over Mm -hmm. her son was still with her mum so she's sort of living living a high life yeah yeah but apparently the club owner would blackmail his hostesses into sleeping with him. Oh, right. Because men are gross. Yes. Like, all men in her life are gross. Eventually, Ruth just became a full-blown escort. She was having sex with men for money. Really? Um, yeah, she was hostessing, having sex with men, and she'd earn extra money from having sex with men at the club. I do think part of that, like, it does sound like maybe she she actually just, she quite enjoyed being a sexual person, mm-hmm. which was obviously really frowned upon at the time. It was very, you know, like, ankle-length skirts, high-waist, yeah. high-necked. Because if you like sex and you're a sinner. Yeah, that sort of glamorous. Yeah. Blah, yeah. Would have been like, you know, she was frowned upon. So she was just embraced it, like, fuck it. So in a way, you know, like, good for you, Ruth. Mm -hmm. That was her life and she did fall. I mean, just as long as she was okay, you know, with that side of things, because I wouldn't want her boss to almost be pimping her out against her will. I don't. I actually think it was more like the opposite. Like, fuck you, I'm going to have sex with these guys. Yeah. Like Nicole Kidman in Moulin Rouge. Yeah, do what I want. Yeah. But yeah, so not like Nicole Kidman in Moulin Rouge. She liked it. Apart from when she Did fell she? in love with Ian McGregor and the, and she had to, yeah, when... I don't know. My version of, of Moulin Rouge in my head is like, what's her name? Satine. Satine, that's it. Je suis Satine. Diamond Circus. Yeah, because she gets really ill and they make up a form. This is me doing Moulin Rouge in a minute. Cha-cha-cha. How wonderful life is when you're in the world. I love you. Don't die, Satine. <laughs> I'm dead. The end. Like, I just don't care for it. Oh, I love that film. <laughs> in my head, it's, ha-ha, diamonds are a girl's best friend. Come on, boys. Ewan McGregor walks in. Oh, my God, I'm in love with a man. Harry Zidler, go sleep with the Duke. No, no, because I love Ian McGregor. He's a, he's a, he's a Jedi. <laughs> oh, but you've got to because he's got the dates for the club. Yeah, but he's a Jedi. Dead. 
<laughs> we watched two very different films, didn't we? <laughs> hey, it's Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> I'm on my motorbike. <laughs> anyway, that was a tangent, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to make it turn it into a real dark place now because uh, so she was having sex with men mm-hmm. like Satine from Moulin Rouge, mm-hmm. but she was enjoying it, and there was no Ewan McGregor. She fell pregnant twice, I think, from. Oh, all that sex. Yeah, and she so she had quite she had a couple of like illegal backstreet abortions. Okay, but you know that was fair. She was making her decisions and she was doing her thing until she met George Ellis, who was a divorced dentist, twenty one years older than Ruth. I do wonder if she's like, oh George, like a father figure, like yeah, look after me, Um, seeking that what she's never had. Yeah, and he was a regular at the club. And he was infatuated with her, like obsessed with her. Mm-hmm. And so I just never got the impression that she was that into it. Okay. But they got married on the 8th of November in 1950 in Tunbridge. Oh, in yeah. Kent. Yeah. With two passers-by as witnesses. So right. like it was quite a quick thing. That is quite quick. Yeah. But George was a violent alcoholic. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. And so once again, she's just in this abusive environment. Yeah. Yeah. So if anything is familiar, like he would just punch her. Like he'd just beat her. And he was very possessive, like really jealous and was like always convinced she was having an affair. Do you know what? I know men now are like problematic, but I'm so glad we don't live in a society back then because men were pretty fucking awful. I think um, there was a lot of good ones, but they just don't make it into these stories. No, but then, and women had like zero rights as well. So being a woman would have sucked. Yeah, it was just very difficult. I think it's always been difficult to be a woman, but then, and I mean, like that post-war, World War Two, like women during World War Two really were able to sort of come into their own. They were running the factories, they were doing all the jobs because the men weren't there. Mm. And I think there was this sort of turn after yeah. the war, you know, women that are... we can actually do stuff, more, thank you very much. Yeah, they're more than just homemakers. Yeah. But there was still a long road ahead. Yeah. Ruth ended up having a daughter during their marriage mm-hmm. called her Georgina. Georgina. Yeah, and Georgina was born in 1951. However, George denied that Georgina was his. Why? Because he was convinced she was having affairs. He was just really jealous. Oh, for God's sake. Right. Yeah. But in the meantime, Ruth was also very jealous and was always thinking that he was having affairs. So he went to rehab. Well, it was like a, a, you know, like a a hospital that was essentially rehab. For for alcoholics? Yeah. And she was convinced he was having affairs with all the nurses. They're both very toxic, aren't they? This yeah. is very toxic, not a healthy place to be. Yeah, so it's weird because she's in these like, violent, toxic, abusive relationships, but she's jealous. Like, she wants, she needs these men to love her. Yeah. I think she's just so desperate to be loved. She ended up leaving George less than a year after the wedding. Cool. Which made me, did make me wonder, was she already pregnant? And then they had like a shotgun wedding. I'm not sure. But mm. then why would he deny that the kid was his? Oh, it's, it's just a mess. Messy. Yeah, but she, so she divorced George and returned to hostessing and sex work. Okay. Yeah. You can see, like, once again from the pictures, she's all glamorous. Can she's I look got her blonde up? Hair. Yeah, yeah, what, look what, her up. Blonde what? hair. And she's all well put together. She's dressed nicely. Ruth Ellis. Oh, yeah. 
Nice hair. Yeah, and it is that sort of like post-war, like 1950s sort of... She looks like... A bit um, like Marilyn, don't you? Yeah, she does look quite Marilyn-esque. And she it is... It's almost like I feel like she's chasing that sort of like golden age Hollywood yeah, vibe. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and she's getting as close to that as she can in the sort of seedier hotspots of London. Yeah. Like, so she always was sort of clinging to living that high life. Yeah. I don't yeah. know why I pictured having longer hair, but I like this short hair. Yeah, she didn't Ooh. want to go. She didn't want to go backwards. She didn't want to go back to that place where she was working all those jobs to take care of her son. She's hot. Yeah, she's very pretty, and you can see why all these men sort of like to her why it was easy for her to sort of get into sex work with yeah. these guys in the club and sort of you know use them to get gifts and money and stuff yeah so in 1953 ruth became the manager of the little club in mayfair oh okay yeah she was living a high life it was glitzy she was had celebrity friends and her clients were always like often giving her money and expensive gift she was like Cher in the film burlesque yeah she was just she's loving it she's having a great time get um, back on that stage just remix then <laughs> that's constantly what it's like in my brain <laughs> yeah but it was at the little club that she met a man called david blakely now you're gonna want to remember his name on their initial meeting apparently they just did not get on they hated each other like she thought he was really full of himself and a bit of a That's but he came to the club. Yeah, he was in the club. Right. But he keeps going to the, back to the club and they get talking. Right. And within a month, he was living with her. What? Yeah, and she was supporting them. What? Why? Yeah, even though he's engaged to another woman. But why is he living with Ruth then? I don't understand that bit at all. It's mad. He's engaged to another woman. She's like an heiress. Because he comes from a really wealthy family and he didn't really have a job. Okay. So that club was frequented, you know, there was like celebrities, there was racing car drivers. And one of his best friends was a race driver, racing driver. Mm-hmm. And that's how he met Ruth, the right. racing driver, introduced them. But he like worked on sports cars and he wanted to be a race car driver. So yeah. I feel like he sort of like was part of that crowd. Okay. But she was in, attracted to his ambition. You know, he wants to be a race car driver. He's going to be successful and he was good looking. And he was living off an inheritance. Mm-hmm. He'd been left £7,000 after his father died. So not a massive sum of money, but at that time it was quite substantial. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. But he's engaged to this heiress. Right. right. This other woman. But he's living with Ruth. I don't... Where is she? What is she doing? Why is she not wondering where he is? Yeah. Like, no one seems to sort of touch on that. No. Like, where is she? Ruth's paying all the bills and he's just living with her and he doesn't have a job. And so he fritters his inheritance away, like, really quickly because he's always out drinking and car racing Mm -hmm. and stuff. And, yeah, he never had a proper job. Why is she into that, though? I'd be singing TLC at him. she doesn't know any better, does she? And I think she just... Also known as... Exactly. But she was just so (laughs) caught up in, like, the glamour of it all and the glitz. And he loved her and and she loved him. And I do wonder if there was a bit of that, you know, he says he's going to leave her and, like, he'll maybe he'll marry me and, like... A man that hasn't got his shit together is instant ick. She like, doesn't know any better, though. She's never had men that have had their shit together in her no, life. No, that is true. So she doesn't know And any also, better. if he's given her the attention she's craving and desires and has always wanted, then you can see why she's blindsided yeah. to So, him. in a way, I do think, like, this 
sort of side of Ruth's story is very sad. Mm. But he had never had a job and he was drinking a lot. And so that money that he had didn't last very long. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he had Ruth and she worked at the club. So she'd be able to get him free booze at the club. He could drink there for free and he'd stay in her bed for free and was just a massive freeloader. But they had an open relationship. Eh? So he was still sleeping with other women. Like he had mother, other multiple women on the go. And he was engaged to this. He is really, really a yeah. dog. He's a dog, but yeah. he is he is having his cake and he is eating it. Oh, he's fucking he's chomping that right up. Buffet, he's been to Greg's, mate. man. Yeah, he's all you can eat buffet. He's just going to town. Ruth was still engaging in sex work and, you know, sort of seeing other guys. So it's not like she was just at no. home waiting for him. She's paying the bills, though. Yeah, but That's how she, that is how she pays the bills. Yeah. Once again, the relationship was incredibly violent. Oh, what is like, this? But from both sides, oh. she would give it back. Like right. she, he'd just full fist punch her in the face. Fuck. And she would do the same. My like, God. Yeah. Ruth was also, once again, she was incredibly jealous of all these other women, of his fiance. Yeah. Uh-huh. She met a man called Desmond Cusson mm-hmm. at the club and entered into a relationship with him as well so she was still seeing david and david was still living with her but she was in a relationship with desmond dramas yeah drama llama desmond he was 33 so mm. he was a bit older than ruth who i think was about 27 at the time right and he was an ex-air force pilot and who left the air force and become director of his family business mm-hmm. cousin and co mm-hmm. and they were tobacconists and wholesalers so he had this good job and he was a stable man and, you know, good folk ex-forces. He was really kind to Ruth and he loved her. He loved her so much. It sounds like he just really thought she was great and he just wanted to look after her. Aww. So, like, the complete opposite of David. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also, from what it sounds like, he was probably the only man in Ruth's life to ever actually treat her properly in a loving way as a man should treat a woman. Yeah. Yeah, so did she sail off into the sunset with Desmond? Did she fuck? She used Desmond to, like, make David jealous, essentially, and it worked. David called off his engagement to the mystery heiress woman and started talking about marriage with Ruth, all while beating her up, like, regularly. What is this? beaten by her. Yeah, so they still had this really violent and jealous relationship, and Ruth was still seeing Desmond... Ruth, we're um, playing that girl. Yeah, and so it was just like this vicious triangle because Desmond was like, oh, I love you, Ruth. Like, I want to treat you back, treat you like nicely. And Ruth was like, oh, thanks, Desmond, but I love David. And David was like, fuck you, Desmond. I love you, Ruth, but also fuck you, Ruth. And it just would go in this like weird that triangle. That is mad. And so they all knew about each other. Maybe they're in this weird way, although she's craving the nurture and like validation and care from a man, that violent volatile kind of environment is what she's used to and so perhaps almost seeks comfort in that yeah i do i think you're right and i think she just i genuinely she just loved david so much like she had this intense passion david the violence and the you know shit circumstances like didn't sometimes it's like like, maybe the the arguing is exciting as well like it's kind of fiery and sort of you know i don't know some people get a kick out of it like that passion it gets a bit weirder this violent relationship really took its toll on her work life like i think he'd go into the they'd be jealous they'd have arguments Mm -hmm. you know and because she was once again had to flat at the club Mm -hmm. the owner of the club 
basically said, look, you either need to choose your career mm-hmm. at this club right, and prioritise that or choose your relationship with David. You cannot have both. Okay. And she chose David. Ugh. By doing this, she became homeless. She didn't have a job. Oh, yeah. Obviously, she got kicked out of the flat. Yeah. So then Desmond jumps in and is like, don't worry, Ruth, you can live with me. I love you. Oh. Yeah. And so she does. And then, but he would still allow David to visit the flat where Ruth and David would have sex. They would have sex in David's house. And there was this whole like question of maybe Desmond's a voyeur and he actually kind of likes the fact that she's with this other guy, but there's nothing to like. Oh, Desmond, no, man. Desmond, what are you doing? Yeah. But I do think Ruth had feelings for Desmond. I do think she cared about him, but just not in the same way that she did with David. And so I think because, you know, obviously she's a sex worker as well, she's able to separate those feelings. I think in a way she was using Desmond, but I do think she also cared for him, just not in the way that he wanted. But while she was living with Desmond, she'd be constantly like looking for David. Like, David, where are you? Going into jealous rages, drinking. I think there was talk that she was on tranquilizers, taking tranquilizers. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and in 1955, she fell pregnant. Again? Yeah, but she miscarried oh. days after David punched her full on in the stomach, knowing that she was pregnant. Fucking hell. And she still stayed with him. Like, she still loved him. And that's rank. He knew she was pregnant, punched her in the stomach. And she'd already had a termination previously in the relationship with David because she didn't think that he was ready to commit to her and their child because he was still engaged to another woman. Her womb is like... She's a very fertile lady. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's been for quite a lot. Yeah. Hasn't it? Yeah. That's sort of their relationship up to Easter weekend, 1955. Oh. David promised to spend the weekend with her. Okay. And didn't turn up. Okay. Yeah, so she spends the weekend drinking. I'd be fucked off. I'd be like, where's my Easter egg? You said you were going to come and see me. Now, according to this Dineage documentary, she flew into a jealous perno-filled rage. Perno? Yeah, and I was like, oh, fucking hell, of all the things to drink, like perno, (laughs) my God. (laughs) Wow. Um, it I should be to, like whiskey fueled rage. I used, to keep, I used to keep a bottle of Perno. I had a bottle of Perno. What is Perno? It's like bright, bright yellow stuff. Tastes like Ouzo. Grace. Yes, and But it's oh. like bright yellow. I had a bottle of it in my wardrobe when I was like 16. Because I thought I was really cool. And I'm like, sometimes if I'd fight with my mum or whatever, I'd go up and have a swig of Perno and be like, yeah, I'm so emo. You were like, in a Perno yeah. sphere rage. Fueled yeah. rage. Yeah, and like nobody liked it. Nobody enjoys drinking Perno. It's disgusting. Some people probably do. But yeah, there you go. She drove to some friends of David's. She drove to their house. Okay. She'd phoned them, already phoned them multiple times, being like, I know David's there. Put him on the phone. They refused. None of David's friends liked Ruth. Why? They thought she was possessive and horrible and jealous and just not their class. She wasn't, you know, she wasn't fit to be around people of their sort of ilk. Yeah, but David's also a piece of shit too, so... They're both pieces of shit at this point. Right. Like, I do feel sad for Ruth up to a point, but she was giving as good as she got. Like, yeah. You know? So I think Ruth actually thought that David was having an affair with their nanny and they were just, like, covering up for mm-hmm. her. So she drives there, his car's outside, she starts smashing up his car oh, to lure God. him out. But the police were called and they convinced her to go home. So Desmond comes and picks her up. Desmond. takes her home. And at this point, she decided that she wanted David Blakely dead. Why? Because she's fed up of constantly being jealous and if she can't have him she no. doesn't want anyone else to have him and now Ruth, mate. <laughs> it gets a bit murky here okay but 
we'll go with Ruth's story for now. Okay. So Ruth's story mm. is that she took a taxi back to David's friend's house after Desmond had come and taken her away. But as she was getting there, she saw David's car driving away and she knew that he drank at a pub nearby. So she got out of the taxi and walked to the Magdala pub okay. in South Hill Park and she waited outside. That pub is still there. It's still called the Magdala. So you can go there if you want to. She sees his car outside the pub and she sees him drinking inside and she waits. And then when he leaves the pub with his friend, she steps out from the shadows of the doorway next door. <laughs> yeah. She calls, David, what have you been doing? And then bang! Shoots him. She fires a gun. Where did she get the gun from? We'll get to that. Okay. Because he's looking for his keys. First bullet misses. Bang! Shoots him again. Oh my God. This one hits. He falls to the floor. Oh, my God. And then she walks over to him and fires three more bullets. She is a raging woman. Two bullets enter his body uh-huh. and one passes so close to him that it leaves powder burns on his skin. <gasps> yeah. Now, she was then seen trying to fire the last shot, but right. the gun jammed. Sources say that she was trying to fire that last bullet at David on the ground. Yeah. But it missed and it ricocheted off. Yeah. And it hit a bystander. No. Who ended up losing the use of her thumb forever. Oh. Yeah. Shot her thumb. Christ. Yeah. The Dineage documentary says she turned the gun on herself, but it jammed. Oh. And she couldn't. So you can't just make that up. No. And it does kind of like work with the story. Yeah, it definitely makes it a bit more dramatic and sort of yeah. somewhat romantic in yeah. a way. So I don't know where that last bullet went, but it definitely didn't go into Ruth's head and it definitely did hit a bystander. And it, did it permanently just like make their thumb not work? Yep. Okay. I don't know whether the thumb is gone or just not working. Okay. Thumbs are pretty essential to get things done. If my dogs had thumbs, they'd be helping me a I'd lot be, more around the I'd house. I'd be frightened if my dog had thumbs. <laughs> Obviously, by that point, a crowd has gathered all these gunshots. And a member of the crowd was an off-duty policeman. Oh, no. Yeah. And so he arrests her and she says, I'm guilty and a little confused. I am guilty and a little confused. Oh, dear. Yeah. She's not even trying to, like, cover it up or anything. Blakely's body was taken to hospital with multiple fatal wounds. The bullets had hit his intestines, liver, lung, aorta and his trachea. Was he dead? At yeah. this point. Oh, yeah. Why was he taken to hospital then? Well, because they have to do post-mortem and oh, make okay. sure he's dead and stuff, don't they? Don't know. They just went straight to the morgue. Well, that's also where the morgue is. Isn't oh, it? yeah. This is actually where the term, a crime of passion... Really? ...sort of came to fruition. Oh. Yeah. But um, obviously, I think we've talked about this before, but it's really unusual for a woman to kill like this. Like, quite often female killers prefer sort of less violent methods. Poison... Yeah like things like that but to just i mean she's got this gun there's sort of limited knowledge of her previous experience with guns apparently she's been drinking and taking tranquilizers and and she's all hopped up on rage i think she you know she's got herself to this point of like ah i love him so much and i'm so furious at him because like because he is this way and i just don't want him to be like this anymore Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be without him. I don't want him to be with anyone else. So she's like, ah, and she fires a gun. And then she's like, well, I've done it now. Like she finishes and she's like, okay, well, I've done that. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. So she was taken to Hampstead Police Station where she gives a full confession about how she'd set out to kill David. She says that she got the gun off a client from the club. I'm sort of treading around this carefully 
because is that actually what happened? We what all... do you mean? Is that what actually what happened? Well, what what part? Did she get the gun from a client of the club? Did she get a taxi back to the house? We know that she shot him. Yes. But how did she get to that point? So at the moment, this is all that she's saying. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So um, at that time, if you're found guilty of murder, it's a death sentence. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah and she would have gone into that knowing that. Mm-hmm. I think at this point, it's fair to say she just, she doesn't care for her own life yeah. anymore. She, she's, she's done. Okay. And um, whilst waiting to be tried, Ruth was evaluated several times by various psychologists, but no evidence of mental illness or insanity was found. Like she was of sound mind. Mm-hmm. She knew what she was doing. Mm-hmm. So, 20th of June, 1955, Ruth Ellis stood trial. Her defense team tried to sort of you know get her to present as a victim she'd been in this toxic abusive relationship and she'd just come to the end and temporary insanity took over and Ruth was like nah fuck that she turns up at the courthouse so she dyed her hair platinum blonde again freshly dyed hair and she's got like a nice silk blouse she's sort of assumed this hostess role again okay you know and become that type of woman, the glamorous mm-hmm. that society, sort of mainstream, mainstream society frowned upon. She was already doing absolutely nothing to try and get people on her side or to try and get people to feel sympathy for her. She didn't mm-hmm. want to do that. She was just being who she was. She was sure of herself. Yeah. And like her defense were like, please don't do that. <laughs> but she did it anyway. She was just trying to do everything she could to be found guilty, mm-hmm. essentially. And she wanted to plead guilty. Okay. Um, Why does she need a defence team if she's not bothered? Do you have have to have a a lawyer? Oh. Yeah. I just go in there and go like, I did it. Throw me in the cell and chuck away the key. I guess so. I don't really know. I don't know. But she had a defence team. I do think Desmond might have got some lawyers involved. Oh, okay. Her defence team did manage to convince her to plead not guilty as they believed there was extenuating circumstances, you know, with the relationship. A bit like Lorena. Yeah. Sort of. And they were doing everything to try and ensure that she was found not guilty. But the trial lasted two days. It was really quick. And also, the crime took place in April. And this trial was June. Okay. Yeah, so quite quickly. Yeah. Ruth pleaded not guilty and her defence aimed to prove that she was not of sound mind and had diminished mental capabilities at the time of the crime. Okay. They didn't do a great job bringing that across. Mm. Because A, the trial only lasted two days. And B, when... The prosecutor questioned Ruth on the stand. He asked her one question, Mm -hmm. which was, when you fired the revolver at close range into the body of David Blakely, what did you intend to do? Yeah. And she answered, it was obvious. I shot him. I intended to, when I shot him, I intended to kill him. Can't really argue with that, can you? No. So the jury just took 23 minutes to determine that Ruth was guilty. Yeah. (laughs) And Lord Justice Cecil Haver sentenced her to death by hanging oh my god she took the sentence calmly and went back to holloway prison to await execution so i think she got what she wanted she's like yep i'm ready but the sentencing caused widespread controversy and there was a public outcry why at that time a lot of people especially because like i've already said like it was really unusual for women to kill in that very very violent very rage-filled manner. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, you know, it was the mid-50s, they just didn't think women were capable of murder, like, to that degree. Yeah, just stepping out of the shadows. And yeah. 
And I say to that degree, but at that time in the criminal justice system in the UK, murder was murder. There wasn't degrees of murder. Okay. It was just you're charged with murder. You have a death sentence. Mm-hmm. And now that death sentence can be a reprieve can be requested mm-hmm. from home secretary, mm-hmm. which quite often happened quite often and quite often was granted. But yeah, so a petition was signed by over 50,000 people, members of the public. I was given to the Home Office asking for clemency for Ruth. Really? Yeah, saying that the death penalty was too harsh. She's just a woman. She killed a man. Yeah. The petition was denied. Ruth told her mum that she didn't want a petition to reprieve her. Okay. And she had no part in the campaign. Like, she didn't campaign for her for a reprieve. She didn't campaign against the death sentence or anything. She was happy to just take it on the chin. But her relatives basically urged her solicitor, John Bickford, to write to the Home Secretary and set grounds for a reprieve. So they asked for it anyway. And now, interestingly, John Bickford, her solicitor, had been hired by Desmond. Right. He's still trying to look after her. Oh, Des. Yeah. The Home Secretary denied the request for a reprieve. So Ruth dismissed that solicitor that had been chosen by Desmond and asked for a solicitor from the firm that represented her in the divorce from George way back when so that she could set a will okay day before the execution before going to see her those solicitors visited John Bickford the previous Mm -hmm. one and he urged them to ask Ruth where she had obtained the gun okay yeah so they go and see her and they talk about the will and they end up interviewing her for two hours right they ask her where she got the gun and Ruth then divulged that Desmond Cusson had given her the gun and he'd taught her how to use it on the weekend, that weekend prior to the murder. Mm-hmm. So he goes, so this is what is thought to have happened because she also revealed that Cusson had driven her to the murder scene. Right. So she goes to the friend's house. She yeah. smashes up David's car. Yeah. Police are called. Desmond picks her up. Yeah. And she's like, I want him dead. And Desmond's like, all right, I can help you with Because well, he don't want him alive He's either. He's got a vested interest, Yeah, he? let's face it. Like, this is best case scenario for Desmond. Brilliant. Oh. With David out the picture, maybe Ruth will marry me. Yeah. Oh, he does he. Yeah, he gives her a gun that he has. He yeah. shows, he loads it for her. <gasps> they go out to a beach and they practice shooting and he teaches her how to shoot the gun. Yeah. And then he loads it for her again yeah. and he drives her back to David's friend's house where mm-hmm. they see him leaving. So he drives her to the pub. So he's- She gets out. So, I mean, so, like, she, he's enabled it. He's encouraged her. Like, yeah. And this whole time he could be encouraging her, like, yeah, Ruth, you should, like, he doesn't deserve you. Yeah. You know, we don't know. He moved to Australia so after the trial. he is, I feel like he's also partly to blame. Well, this is just right? it. So when this came to light, why was he not then tried for accessory to murder? Yeah. I don't know if that was a charge then. But essentially, the solicitors were like, brilliant. You know, we've got this. This is extra information. They took it to the Home Secretary, the Home Office, mm-hmm. and Criminal Investigation Department, C- CID, mm-hmm. were ordered to check the story. Okay. Desmond Cousin had been brought to the stand as a witness in Ruth's trial. Right. Like, as a witness. So, like, he was involved. I'm baffled. Like, there's definitely motive for him to sort of convince her to do Yeah. It. I'm not saying that he did. I don't think he needed to. I genuinely think that Ruth was just like, I'm going to fucking kill him. She had enough fire in her belly. fucking kill him. But he... But he, probably he, he, she had lit the match he provided the gasoline yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was just like oh go on then yeah yeah but yeah the police made considerable inquiries but the home secretary lloyd george at the time said that it made no difference to his decision regardless of whether desmond 
you know drove her there or whether he had any involvement at all Mm -hmm. and that in fact it made her look even more guilty because she definitely premeditated it ah right okay yeah that is true it is true so apparently he's quoted as saying we cannot have people shooting off firearms in the street (laughs) <laughs> yeah so the injury to the bystander and her thumb yes um was decisive in his decision the poor thumb yeah that was it she's set for execution and ruth was executed at holloway jail on the 13th of july 1955 god that's crazy isn't yeah. it and that's not a long time between the crime and the punishment is I'm it done by that is it not done for public viewing or is it inside the prison no, so she was taken to the cell next door and hanged yeah because they don't do it in public anymore like to with like galaxies no the gallows no interestingly the hangman yes he was the hangman at holloway prison he's hung loads of people right but he specifically said that he felt very uncomfortable carrying out ruth ellis's sentence why because it was she was a female yeah and he said it was not because he doubted her guilt you can't doubt her guilt at this point like she's guilty Mm. but yeah because she was a woman and I think... Did the, they not the, get many women then? No, so I think it between... In Ruth's lifetime... Imagine getting that a job. Yeah, I know. Applying I know. for that on Zoopla, like... Not Zoopla, Hang applying that. for that. Applying for that on, um, what is it? CV library, whatever it's called. Yeah, well, at the time, it would have just been like personal ads in the paper. Yeah. Like, Wanted, hangman. In the post office. Yeah, imagine like applying, being like, I'm well good at hangman, I love letters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a different kind of hangman. Yeah. And it caused a lot of questions among the public, like should women hang? Should anyone hang? And it started this conversation that sort of snowballed. The response to Ruth Ellis's death sentence actually played quite a substantial role in changing the laws against capital punishment in the UK. So she was the last woman to be hanged in the UK. That was in 1955. I'm not saying she was the last person to be sentenced to death, but once again, the reprieve process, there were just more and more reprieves were being granted. Okay. Like, it was actually becoming quite rare for someone who was given the death sentence for murder to actually have that sentence carried out. Oh, because they'd appeal it and a lot of times that appeal would go through and they'd be sentenced to life in prison or okay. an alternative sentence. But because the way the law was written, mm. murder equals death sentence. Right. And I don't understand. So this is what we've talked about this before. Like if this was America, she'd have been in prison for like 20 years before they executed her. Yeah. But like, you know, in the UK, we just get shit done. Yeah, we don't have the space for it. There's so no we're just like, well, like, why, why hang about? Yeah. Three weeks, just over three weeks between the trial and the execution yeah the death penalty ended up being abolished 10 years later with the last execution taking place in 1964 the law was abolished in 1965 wow yeah and that's the tale of uh ruth ellis it's like definitely sort of conversation worthy it's weird because i think her story like her beginnings and everything is sad yeah um, and everything's sort of up until that jealous rage is sad, but I don't actually feel any sympathy for her whatsoever. No, I don't. I think that she's obviously got some, like she's been through a hard time, which probably kind of has programmed her to behave the way that she does. But equally, she is she she did do a bad thing. Like she chose violence. She killed a guy. Like yeah, I mean, I don't people say like, oh my god, I could kill him. Yeah, like, but you don't anger. do that. Nobody ever means it, but she meant it and she did it. There was a lot of sadness around the after the hanging as well. Her ex-husband, George Ellis, committed suicide by really? hanging. Yep, in a hotel in 
God. That left her daughter Georgina as an orphan. Oh. In 1969, Ruth's mother, Bertha, was found unconscious in a gas-filled room in her flat. Oh, my god! Yeah, and never fully recovered and did not speak coherently again. Whether that was a mistake or on purpose, who knows? They'll oh. never know. And I think this is the saddest one. Ruth's son, Andy, the son she had when she was 17, yeah. from the Canadian soldier, he was 10 when his mum was executed. Oh. Yeah. He ended up taking his own life in a bedsit. At in, 10 years old? No, 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 no. No, in 1982. Oh, in 1982. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, after he'd desecrated her grave. Oh. Yeah, because Ruth had been buried in an unmarked grave, which is what happened to people who had been executed. Oh. Buried in an unmarked grave within Holloway Prison, but then that grave was relocated mm-hmm. in the 70s, I believe. The judge from the trial, Sir Cecil Havers, had sent money for Andy's upkeep over the years. Oh. Yeah. And the prosecutor that asked her that question yeah. ended up paying for Andy's funeral. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So I don't know if they felt bad, partly responsible. Yeah. Yeah. And no, it's just, it's all really sad. Like Gosh. that side of things yeah. is really sad. Yeah. Her daughter, Georgina, was obviously orphaned after her father committed suicide a couple of years after she was only aged three when Ruth was executed. This poor, like, yeah. ripple effect of damage yeah. and just sadness. It's that is she'd all have the been, people involved. She'd oh, have gosh. been maybe six five or six when her dad committed suicide so she was Aww. then she was then fostered and so i hope she had a happy life but she died of cancer in 2001 and it's mad there's lots so you can sort of read about their capital punishment that's quite interesting mm. in the uk but that is that is that's is it apparently in july 2007 a petition was given to downing street asking them to reconsider the ellis case and grant her a pardon but what does it make a difference now like to pardon her name too late now i think there's been questions over the justice of it like the trial right um especially like when that new information came to light but i mean ultimately she had murdered somebody i feel like she deserved well she deserved it but i think that she she killed a guy she was drunk and angry and i don't know where jealous i I don't know where i sit on capital punishment no no but i mean capital punishment not a big fan of but i don't see why like she's guilty she killed someone yeah, definitely. I don't think you can, regardless of how you feel about her situation or the circumstances that came up to it, you definitely cannot doubt her guilt. No. And she loved him up until she died. She yeah. loved David up until she died. I just but think, it's not romantic. It's no, not a romantic. I mean, it's not tale. like the Lorena Bobbitt story where she did something awful, but yeah. but she'd just been raped that like exactly. about 10 minutes before by the guy like for the hundredth time. And so she was just acting out of literally like lost control whereas you know Ruth's like fuck him yeah fuck everyone like, else I feel like Bang, Ruth, Ruth Ellis is like the complete opposite like the anti Lorraine yeah Hobbit. and that's why I quite like that that we've, we've done these yeah side by side each other yeah because it's it's so opposite yeah like, yeah and I just think it just shows it just shows two sides of the female coin I guess yeah, it's, it's coin. it opens a lot of like just a lot of of thought mm. yeah so that was ruth ellis i hope you enjoyed it i did enjoy it subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcasts to make sure you never miss an episode of devils in the dark and don't forget you can find us on instagram at devils in the dark in the meantime if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode please do check out the description for lots of helpful resources thank you very much bye-bye bye-bye, bye-bye. bye-bye.